ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode two of All Things Reconsidered, your personal guide on the internet to reconstructing your faith in Jesus Christ. I am your host, Brandon. And I'm Joey. And we are going to talk about some things today. Yes, we're hopefully going to pick up where we left off last time. I feel like in our first episode, we just went for it right off the gate, started talking about hell and Bible literalism. Yeah. Hopefully in this episode, we can explain a little bit more detail and, and uh, clarify some things. Yeah, the first episode was very much just a kind of broad strokes, what we are, why we're here. And yeah. uh, going forward, we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into the topics that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, And there's actually a few funny things that I wanted to show you today before we get started. But first, Brandon, what is new with you? Oh, the same old stuff on a <laughs> different day. Um, just, you know, well, I have, I have been excited to show you something, uh, hilarious, but also really sad. If oh. that makes any sense at all. Oh yeah. Uh, that, that sums up a lot of Christian culture. It does. It does. So one of the things that always, um, fascinates me and is, is the way that, uh, fundamentalist Christians, evangelicals, um, well, the way that. We fall for basically anything. Sure, and and I'm not saying this to attack anybody or to just be mean. But if you feel but... attacked, it's probably for a reason. <laughs> but, well, coming out of 2020, you know, we both saw a ton of Christian conspiracy theory. Oh yeah, and it actually goes back uh, very far. There's a history there. Uh, it can really be stretched back to the Satanic Panic mm. of the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. where parents were being convinced by their pastors, by TV preachers, that Satan was, you know trying to capture their children through Pokemon cards and through Led Zeppelin and all sorts of totally innocuous stuff. Well, that fear just kind of morphed. It it never really went away. It just kind of morphed into modern-day Christian conspiracy theory. So I want to show you this. uh, All right. So one of these stories that came up was of a miraculous occurrence that happened in Dalton, Georgia. Sure. So have you heard anything about this? Some sort of miraculous Bible in Dalton, Georgia. I'm going in completely blind. All right, great. So let me pull this up for you. So this guy in in Georgia, this pastor, uh, I believe his name was... Oops. (laughs) I believe his name was... closed it. Uh, that's okay. I can tell you the story. Uh, okay, but right. this pastor in Georgia uh, claimed that he has a Bible uh, that oozed oil. Okay. That just on its own, Ew. yeah, that just on its own completely oozed oil and would just never stop, basically. All right. Uh-huh. So people, of course, flock to his church. Sure. Here, let me show you this picture of it. There's the Bible. Uh, yeah, that looks gross. I know. <laughs> but there's the Bible. It's covered in oil. You can see he's got his little tabs. He's a very good Christian man. He has oh, yeah. all those. You oh, see all the highlights. highlighted in there? Yeah, so it's a King James leather-bound Bible. Of course, the it, only one. It, it's it's uh, highlighted. It's got its tabs. He says that in one service where he was uh, prophesying. Uh-huh. Now, real quick, let's just pause. Why don't you take a wild guess who or what he was prophesying about uh, in the year 2019. Something's telling me it has to do with our former president, Donald Trump. You are correct. Of course. He was prophesying about Donald Trump becoming president once again. Amen. That did not happen. Of course. Uh, but also, amen. He st- <laughs> but he still has his Bible. So, so he says that while prophesying for him, uh-huh. uh, he... 
open the Bible to one of the Psalms and notice a spot of oil that seemed to just kind of form from within inside the book. Okay. He started investigating more and more, and soon enough, the Bible was saturated with oil miraculously. All right. And uh, he started showing it to people in his church. They started having a, a celebration about it. Uh-huh. People flocked to this church. Hundreds of people flocked to this church. So much so that they had to rent out an old theater in their town in Dalton to house all these people. It got so big. That, so he, he actually went to Tractor Supply, bought this huge uh, plastic bin, and put the Bible in it. And every night, it would be filled to the top with oil. And people would come, and they would they would sample it. They, they had it in little vials. Uh-huh. Now, to their credit, they never sold it. They never made any money well, from good. selling the that's oil. Good. But, of course, in their touring, because this spread, uh-huh. and so they would be invited to churches, bring the Bible with them to churches. So, of right. course, in their touring, they're getting offerings. Sure. So it's not like they're not getting any money. They're getting plenty of love offerings. Uh, there he is. There's Mr. T- uh, Jerry, not Terry, sorry, praying over someone with the oil Bible. Uh uh-huh. And people are claiming that it's healing them. People are claiming that they have these vials and that they come back to the vial the next day and that there's little crystals or diamonds that have formed in the vials of oil. Uh, they're claiming – see, there it is in a big vet, va- uh, yeah. and you can see yeah. it's rising with oil. Um, they claim that it's healed stuff like from skin conditions to I think one person even claimed to heal them of cancer. Uh-huh. Uh, I even know people personally in my life who wanted to go to Dalton and get some, their hands sure. on some of this. Well, before we continue – I want to know your thoughts. Are you a believer or a skeptic? Uh, it, it wasn't obvious by my face <laughs> and my thoughts and my reactions to this. A little bit of a skeptic here. Yeah? Little, Why is that? Um, well, it does. so there are things that make sense and there are things that don't make sense. Sure. And obviously, that's obvious. Obvious statement is obvious. Well, what makes you not doubt, or what makes you not believe that this is possible? I mean, God created the earth in six days, right? That's fair. That's fair. It's not. That's though. not. That's not what. Happened. <laughs> not what but if God could create the earth in six days, um, why couldn't He make a Bible ooze oil? Because I don't understand the point. Yeah. Um, I believe that everything that God has done, um, you know, especially when you look at the miracles in the Bible, you know, regardless of if they're Old Testament or New Testament. They like there was a purpose to them, yeah, and there was like a specific heart behind them of like God showing his goodness to people that did not know that God was good. So, especially when you look at Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, a lot of people were skeptics of Jesus because why would he heal someone like a leper, right? Or why would he heal someone like you know a Gentile woman, right? And it was always to show that God is better than everybody thought he was, yes. That's I right. don't know what this oil has to do with that. They claim that the purpose of the oil is to point to God and get people interested in God. They even were careful to say the oil itself is not magical. Oh, that's the good. oil itself is not what's healing people. And again, to their credit. I got to give credit where credit's due here. Yeah, I mean, I mean good to, on them. To their credit, they never tried to sell it, which you know TV preachers be all over Oh, that. yeah. TV preachers are selling no, water no, from, no. from supposed wells that they are healing people. They don't sell it. They give it away with recommended donations. <laughs> right. Okay. That's Fair an important... enough. Entirely different thing. But as much as you want to give them credit, it's time to ruin that for you. Yeah, I know. So reporters in that area started looking into this. Of course. Started asking questions. One reporter actually went to Mr. Jerry's house uninvited. He, she, she was able to find his address on the internet. Shows up there because she knows that he claims to keep the Bible in his garage when they're not touring with it uh-huh. for safekeeping. Sure. And she shows up uninvited, and they're clearly 
uh, freaked out that she's there. <laughs> they were clearly not expecting her. They get worried. They, they get nervous. They don't let her come in. They say, no, you can't come in here. And then later they meet up with her again at one of their events. And sure. they talk to her like, you can't come back. How would you find her address? So they're obviously freaked out. So now, they start digging more. It is a little weird someone just showing up at your doorstep. Sure, but you are being very generous to these people. Now, again, if this is real... Come on in. Jesus never hit anything. Yeah. Jesus never hit anything. Yeah, it's true. But it would be a little weird if someone's like, can I see your Bible? <laughs> well, but they are getting like a lot of attention. Kind of They're bringing yeah. in hundreds of people. So anyway, so they keep digging. Turns out that tractor supply I mentioned earlier where he bought that big bin to put the Bible in. Yeah. That's not all he was buying there. Oh, no. Two separate Tractor Supply employees came forward to the press and said that this gentleman would frequent that store and buy huge vats of oil. And not only that, not only that, but they sent a sample to a lab to test it. Oh, no. And then they sent a sample of the same oil that Tractor Supply sells, and the lab came back saying that they are entirely identical. That they are chemically identical. So this gentleman was buying up the the whole tractor supply uh, uh, stock <sighs> of, of oil. oil, and then putting just, it in, in the Bible, yeah, just covering his Bible, in just just supply. slathering it with oil, <laughs> just uh, and then telling people that it was a miraculous occurrence. He he was invited on Sid Roth. I mean, not that that speaks any credit to him. That guy invites anybody, but my point is, he was he was getting some notoriety, and uh, the whole thing was made up. I I I don't understand the point. You know, I think that there's a few ways to look at it. He could have been uh, just trying to get attention. Sure. He could have been making this whole thing up because he wanted attention. His wife defends him to this day. He he still says that it's not true, that the reporter lied, that the tractor supply people lied. But, okay. but the Bible coincidentally stopped producing oil. Oh, uh, so that's kind of weird. But the wife says that what she thinks happened, because she's defending him, uh, she says that what she thinks happened is the Bible did start miraculously producing oil on its own, but then it stopped on its own, mm-hmm. and then Jerry got freaked out and tried to supplement it with his own. Basically saying it was miraculous, but then he started not it. as much as so not the they whole thing was fake it to be yeah but i think the moral of the story is that it's important to not get caught up in uh hysteria and yeah. in anything you hear right you know i remember as a child I, I remember i was a little kid and the news came on that they found uh some oil spill like uh, sprayed onto the side of a tunnel mm-hmm. that looked like mary and a bunch of Catholics were, con- were were gathering up around it to like pray in front of this oil spill that looked like Mary. And I remember people in my family kind of mocking that, right, and saying that's so ridiculous. It's just an oil spill, right. But yet we we do the same do thing, you know. Yeah. We 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 do the same thing just with our own little. That cloud uh, looks the, like Jesus. He's reminding me to pray. Yeah, and the fact that the pastors who did this were the whole time also prophesying about Trump, I think perfectly lines up with what we have as an issue with the entire prophetic community really yeah 2020 exposed how drastically far we have gotten away from biblical prophecy right and so many people we've got we've forgotten that if in the old testament people love the old testament for prophecy they love it right because old testament prophecy looks nothing like new testament prophecy if you don't read it correctly and so they talk about the seers and witchcraft and blah, blah, blah. Sure. That's all a lot of prophets nowadays are doing is they're trying to be fortune tellers and to see the future. That's right. They would have been rebuked 
out of their minds and put to death if they would have prophesied that mm-hmm. Donald Trump was going to be president. Yeah, because that was never the attention of the pro- the prophetic. Exactly. I don't never. think I don't think the prophetic is supposed to be uh, a crystal ball into the future. Right. I think that we we what we do is we have this Western. Well, try not just Western to be fair, but at least for us anyway, being in America. Yeah. We have our idea of what prophecy is, and we put that on the Bible right. and say that's what the Bible's talking about. Because but, we have preconceived notations of prophecy exactly. versus the prophetic. Exactly. So we go to the Bible with our assumptions of, oh, it means telling the future, instead of going to the Bible and letting it explain to us yeah. what it means. And Because, I mean, you look at the Old Testament, you look at the minor prophets, and all of them were prophetic to powers that were corrupt. Yeah. I mean, that a majority of the prophetic in the Old Testament was speaking to corrupt powers. So That's the right. idea that... You know, these prophets are exposing corrupt powers to put the, their preferred person in place is so anti-biblical. Yeah. It is most so of, anti-biblical. Most of what the Old Testament prophets were talking about was how Israel was mistreating people. Right. It was honestly a call for Israel to be more uh, godly. I almost said Christian, but obviously that's not. Be more like Jesus. Well, well, yeah, but Old But Testament. they didn't know Jesus yet. And, you know, but but uh, to be more of like what Yahweh was calling them to be. Right. To be an example. But not only that, it was about how they treat people. Yeah. You know, it even says, is it in Ezekiel, I think, that the actual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah yeah, yeah. was that they were not taking care of their people that they were not saying for justice right Stanford, it had, so so that like, was what the prophetic call of the old testament was was that we need to live right we need to stand for justice yeah. and and so if prophets today were biblical they would be calling us to live right and to stand mm-hmm. for justice yep. and yet where were these prophets when george floyd was killed you right know? where were these prophets during when Breonna taylor was taylor was killed i mean right they didn't stand up and say we need justice in the streets we need to you know we need to see uh, the god of justice they only started talking about the god of justice when trump lost yeah once trump lost all we heard about was how don't worry god's gonna fix us because he's god of justice yep so it shows where our priorities are and it even goes past that too because you know it's not just even the black lives matter movement that the church hasn't spoken out against it's you know the unwed mother yeah who exactly. doesn't know where she's going to get her next meal from, and we're more concerned about her sin than yeah. we are about taking care of her. Yeah, it's even worse. We're, we're more concerned about stupid things like Little Nas X's shoes. Right. You know, that that gets us in a frenzy where we're freaked out about Little Nas X's shoes, and we're all excited about a, a, a magical oil Bible. Yeah. And meanwhile, people are dying, and right. we have nothing to say. Both of them are as heretical as the other one. Exactly. Exactly. The magic oil Bible is just as bad as Satan's shoes. Yeah. yeah. Because they are falsifying... They're just falsifying things. Well, you know, it's kind of funny the Satan shoes. I don't. I like. I. I, I have my opinions about the controversy. I think yeah, the. Absolutely. I think people are way too upset about it. In my opinion, right. But the other funny thing about it to me is that like the imagery of Satan in that video, isn't even what Satan no, biblically looks no. like. That imagery is very much from like what we've said Satan looks like. Right. But Satan is not described as a red dude with horns, with horns. and a tail and a pitchfork. Yeah, getting lap dance. It's not described yeah. as that. There's It is a weird video. Oh, I know. I'm not saying it's like I'm not saying it's my I wouldn't video. recommend watching it cuz it just it made me feel uncomfortable. It was weird. Uh, I get it. Like I, you know, but my point is that's just another case in point of how the world and even Christians uh, are confused, I think, about mm-hmm. what the Bible actually says about the devil and about right. hell. And uh about all this stuff yeah so speaking of christians being confused about the bible and hell and all this stuff that's a great segue into kind of stuff spending the second half of the podcast um just talking about hell 
Let's and do kind it. of diving more into that topic that we touched on a little bit uh, last week. Yeah. And so, where do you want to start on that? Well, what I would like to do is, I, I know you already know this, but for the people watching, why don't we start with just explaining the uh, what the Bible actually says about hell? Yeah, sure. Um, and you can, of course, jump in. But just to get started, I just put out a, a TikTok about this. Yep. And part two is, is um, on its way. Part three is still being written. I don't know what I'm going to say for it yet. But <laughs> but uh, there's actually, as you know, four different words that get translated to he- as hell. Right. Um, and that mistranslation is extremely misleading. Uh, yeah. People think that hell is a certain way when it's just, it's just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, our understanding of hell is so uh, affected, I think, by more than just scripture. Yes. I really yes. think that our... Our understanding of hell is more affected by Dante's Inferno yep. and sinners in the hands of an angry God, and of course by things like Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, oh, yeah. which we talked a little about. Left behind and left behind and uh, hell houses. Yes, these things have shaped our understanding of of hell. I think way more than the Bible has. Correct. Um, so the Bible, of course, calls hell or the word for hell in the Old Testament is Sheol, which just means the grave. Yes, and it is described as not a fun place. I'm not saying that it's like absolutely. Fun. But it's mostly described as just a place that all dead people go, whether you're wicked or good, all go to the grave. Which is an important distinction to make, too, because whenever you look at how Jesus and Paul speak about the afterlife in the New Testament, and they talk about the grave being defeated, they would have associated the grave with Sheol. Yeah. And so whenever, you know, I believe it's Paul writes... Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? That's what he's talking about. He's almost literally saying, hell, where is your victory? Exactly. You know, if we were to translate that nowadays, he would be saying, hell, where is your victory? Yeah. So we're like, Paul's even saying, hell does not have victory anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the gospel story of uh, how when Jesus died and went to hell, he took the keys right. to death, hell, and the grave. I love how Brian's on pointed this out. He said, he said, uh, I think it was in his Easter message or one before it. He said that if you are in charge of a place, you have the keys. Right. Yeah. I used to be a I used to be an assistant manager at a GameStop way back in the day, <laughs> and I what had an keys. OG. Yeah, I had keys, and uh, I still have my GameStop swag around here somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, I had the keys. Once I quit, the keys were gone. I right. was no longer in charge. When Jesus took the keys, it's saying that Satan is no longer in charge right. of hell. That hell, that death itself is not in charge of death anymore. Correct. Now, now think about it this way. Once he took the keys, what do you think he did with them? Do you, do you think he took them just to hold now on to them? he threw them in that lake of fire in Revelation. Well, he throws hell in the lake of fire. Absolutely. Ah, I threw the keys in there. He throws the keys in the lake? Oh, yeah. Not letting anybody else out. <laughs> he had me going for a second. <laughs> I think he used the. I think he used the dang keys. He took the, to, He took the keys to it says use he them. Took everybody that was currently in there. Yeah, out. It says he set the captives free. He, he if Jesus if Jesus took the keys and then didn't use them, then this change of management meant nothing. Right. The change of management of hell meant nothing if the new owner does the same thing the old owner does. Right. He took the keys to set the captives free. Right. And yet we're still convinced that you know. Hell is something that is just not. Yeah, and we we focus more on Jesus in his relationship to hell than we do with Jesus in his relationship to death. And I think that's a very important distinction to make. Yeah. Because that's where I feel like the church gets confused. Sure. Is 
we are focused more on the idea of a literal hell where people burn for all of eternity. Whatever, that's not even what Jesus was dealing with. That's not what Jesus came to take care of. That's right. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that we may have no more hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so we could have everlasting life. And what is the opposite of life? The opposite of life is not hell. The opposite of life is death. Yeah. So Jesus' main mission coming to earth, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, had everything to do with death being defeated. Exactly. He he his death was was able to defeat death itself. Correct. And that has yeah. framed hell in the wrong way though when we look at jesus defeating hell as opposed to jesus defeating death yeah i I totally follow because at this point we're now making hell as strong as god because you know if people are still going to hell for all of eternity then what did jesus what was jesus even doing well there's a lot of things about hell that don't make sense if we take it in the most literal and eternal sense first of all it's important to note that uh the other words for hell there's hades which is just the same thing as as a uh, sheol it's yep. just the greek version of sheol there's tartarus which is only used i believe once and by peter and that's actually a greek mythological location where titans were enchained by zeus yes and peter just uses that to describe the way that the fallen angels are enchained because they would have been they would have known that would have yeah. been a common that's a common thing that they would have picked up on that they would have had. So, now the other word is gehenna that's used the most, and it's in the in the New Testament anyway. I don't know if it's used more than the Shion the Old, but that's what Jesus always uses, uh, I believe, when he's talking about hell. And that's one that sounds most like our idea of hell. Right. But even in that sense, first of all, it's important to note that Gehenna itself is an actual literal real-world location. It's right. a valley outside Jerusalem uh, where wicked kings had sacrificed children. Yep. And so it was a common Jewish belief that that place was cursed because of that. Now, Jesus references it not just talking about like a literal field though he seems to be referring to an actual literal uh spiritual realm yeah but what happens in that spiritual realm is very debated uh old rabbinical schools uh you know and and if we're if again remind remembering that gehenna was a literal place in israel so why don't we ask what israelites thought about it it's no it's their area absolutely not <laughs> so That's way too much context Charlie. right i know sorry way too much sorry guys it's it's about it's about america don't worry about it no uh <laughs> they rabbinical schools have always taught uh, well various ideas but one major one was that gehenna is a purgatorial place where mm-hmm. the sinners enter there and atone for their sins but after at the most only 12 months uh, are no longer there. Right. Now, some say they're no longer there because they're utterly destroyed. Some say they're no longer there because they have atoned and they can leave and go to God's presence. Right. But that's where the ancient Jewish thought was, and that's what Jesus was using. That That's the word he was using. Right. So he was standing on that understanding of, of, of what Gehenna is to, to describe it. Right. And, and now, see, and here's what will trip people up is, you know, you have that thing where Jesus says, you know, they will have their punishment or whatever. Yeah. I have to find the actual verse. In King the lake James of fire? messes it up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have their time, you know, have their punishment in the lake of fire, yeah. the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and all of these things. But Jesus was never talking about forever. Now, a very important thing to note, and, you know, Joey may disagree, but I don't think he does. I don't know. We believe that <laughs> hell exists. Yeah. It is a real place yeah. that people will go to, that people are currently in. But... Our problem with it, and I believe the Bible's problem with how we view it, is it is not a place for eternal torment of people that 
didn't make all the right decisions here on Earth. Exactly. It, it's not eternal. I don't think there's anything really that stands out that proves it's eternal. In fact, no. the only time where the phrase eternal punishment is used in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 25. Yes. Jesus says eternal punishment the one and only time. But in the Greek translation, the, the proper translation of those words, which I can't pronounce because I'm a white guy in Tennessee and I don't know how to speak Greek. Uh, but those words, if you if you follow any sort of good, solid Bible commentary, it will show you that the more proper translation is the chastising of an age. Right. Because the, the word for punishment is actually better shown as a remedial chastisement, meaning something meant to remedy. Right. Not something just to punish, to, to make you suffer, but something correct. to correct and to, to remedy things. Now, what would you be remedying if you're still just going to be in there forever? Right. What's the point of correcting if you're still locked up? Yep. And then the part for eternal is actually a word that is more of a nuanced word that can mean a, a time or a place. Right. So if Jesus wanted to say literally eternal punishment, he could have said that. There are other Greek words that would have said that and there'd be no debate. Right. But he chose a phrase that actually would mean chastising of an age, which makes sense with the rabbinical thought of right. what Gehenna is. Yeah. And so it's it's so interesting to me how we have almost we've perverted the idea of hell to yeah. more fit how we view what justice should look like. Oh, absolutely. Versus what God's justice is. That's so true. And so I mean, you even look at, you know, the American prison system. Yeah. It's supposed to be remedial, yeah. allegedly. <laughs> That's yeah. the point is, you know, someone commits a crime, they spend their time behind bars, they readapt to society, and we can send them out as, you know, a more successful human being. And that's not that – That's not what happens. It doesn't lot. happen. It's a cycle that, that locks them in. Correct. And so – but we view hell that same way because that's the only way that we can think. Yes, but luckily, praise God. Thank God. God is not like us. Yes, Isaiah says his ways are above our ways. So while we have our ideas of what justice is, right. God has his, and they're better than ours. Yeah. God understands justice better than we do. So in in a perfect world, I think everybody would agree, if someone walked into a store and robbed that store, they would spend a year in prison, and in that time, they would you know go through counseling, they would go through therapy, talk about you know reasons why they did the things that they did. Maybe education, and education, then maybe some job placement. Job training. Yeah. And then whenever they get out of prison... They can just plug themselves back into society as a, you know, a successful contributing member of society. Everybody would think that that is the ideal situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's not what happens. Yeah, because people don't want to fund it. <laughs> However, that is exactly God's view towards us. Of There are things that are still in your life that I want to purge out of you so you can walk completely in the fullness of my image like you were originally created to be. Exactly. Why would God destroy his own image? He can't. He, it makes no sense. He can't. If you... if you, well, I, Correct. He won't. He won't because he's good. Which is even better. God is goodness itself. There's no shadow. There's no darkness in him. Right. Now, Jesus is described in Revelation as presenting to the Father all of creation so that God can be made all in all. Yep. David Bentley Hart points out, and I'm going to butcher it because let me tell you, David Bentley Hart talks on another, like he wrote on another level for me. Yeah. I'd have a dictionary every time I was reading his books. Um, you need a dictionary and a thesaurus. I know, he's, yeah, he's, he's brilliant, but 
the way I understood it <laughs> uh, was that he was basically saying that for for God to be all in all, it has to include all of his image bearers. Right. Because if any one of his image bearers is not included, then he is not all in all. Right. Um, and and that is why in Revelation, and maybe we said this in the first one, so I'll be brief in case we did. But in Revelation, it describes the lake of fire outside of the gates of New Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but the gates are never shut, and the church inside is constantly yelling out to the gates or to the lake, saying, "Come and sit at our table and feast." Right. And uh, and the the goodness of God is always drawing all men to redemption. Or in David Bentley Hart's translation, it says that the, that if Jesus lifted up, He will drag all men unto Him. Yeah. Um, so because in the end, God is stronger and also God is not beholden to any cosmic rule that we have made bigger than him. Exactly. I feel like we have, you know, lessened the magnitude of God when we say, well, he has to do this or that. Yeah. And and that's not true. Yeah. Like God will punish sin. But he's not going to punish the sinner. Yes, because if he was going to, then why did Jesus say on the cross, Father, forgive them? Right. That was his moment. He could have. He could have. Full of wrath. Yes. He is full of vengeance. He is full of justice. He is full of judgment. But none of those things are pointed at you or me. That's right. All of those aspects of God that we love to point to when we justify God raining down his fire on people is pointed at the sin that is separating you from himself. Exactly. That's why whenever whenever Peter says, Lord, shall we call fire down on them? Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Exactly. Because even Jesus walking on earth says, if you think that my fire is used to destroy your enemies, you don't know what spirit you're of. Exactly. My fire is meant to destroy the things that are keeping you and them from my presence. That's what Jesus was doing. He was constantly correcting people's misunderstanding of who God is. Right. Peter, working off of a Old Testament thought process, st- thought of God as being the kind of God who would throw down fire in his yeah, enemies. Absolutely. And Jesus had to come and say, you think that about me, but it's not true. Right. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. That's why you have Joshua in the Old Testament saying that God told me to commit genocide, but Jesus Jesus in the New saying, Father, forgive them, and saying, you know, pray for those who persecute you and right. turn the other cheek. Because he's showing you had some things wrong. And I think a lot of us have some things wrong even now about how God deals out justice. Yeah, but that's kind of like the point of this podcast is just kind of addressing those things that, you know, we get wrong sometimes and figuring out a more Christ-like way to think about them. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, we we have that verse uh, that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Yep. And the thing that bothers me is that I see a lot of Christians seem to have this idea that when it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, they almost imagine it like, like all of the sinners and all of the people who made fun of me for going to church, they're going to be forced to bow once they see Jesus coming in on the clouds with his, with his sword, Sword they're going to be forced to bow under, you know, and then be killed. Right. But that's not what the verse is saying at all. If you again, look at the Greek, the actual wording there describes joyfully and willfully and happily bowing. Right. It doesn't describe being forced because God's going to kill you if you don't. Right. It describes a state where people receive, Receive the love of God. Yeah. And, and I think hell is that relationship. It's that state of being where you are resistant to his love. Yeah. And I even think you said earlier, we, th- we believe people are in hell right now. I agree. I also would just add that I think hell is happening here on earth right now. Yeah, absolutely. People are going, people are in hell 
on earth right now people who are dealing with with injustice who are who are impoverished who you know aren't are not having a fair treatment they are dealing with hell right now right and our mission as christians is to bring heaven to earth right now right we got to get out of this idea that heaven and hell are both locations yeah. that we're going to go to when we die and realize that they are states that are here now and you can either be living in hell now or heaven now right which is so because jesus literally says whenever the whenever the uh disciples say lord teach us how to pray the first thing he says is our father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come yes thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven yeah not you know help us get off this rock <laughs> that you know you go to the kingdom yeah don't pray you know that you receive me into your kingdom right it is Bring heaven to earth. That is exactly why uh, John, when he's describing Jesus, describes him as 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 the Lord being with us. He's describing him like the tabernacle, right? Of that that place where heaven and earth came together. That's why Emmanuel is God with us. That's the good news. Yeah, is that He's here with us now. Yeah, but uh, I think that's a great spot to wrap it up. And I think that kind of can be our topic for next week: is what are the implications of God being with us? All right, cool. Unless, unless, of unless, course, of course, you guys drop something in the comments that uh, you know strikes us more than that, or if we just decide to talk about something, different. or if we decide to talk, about it's our podcast. <laughs> you can't tell us what to do. We run the show here. As always, we appreciate you guys tuning in to you, all things reconsidered. Yeah. Make sure that you like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, share the video with a friend, and you know we will see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.